You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. First, let's talk Delaware women's basketball. They beat Northeastern 61 to 50 in this in the quarterfinal matchup on last Thursday, and then on Friday against the number one seed Drexel, Delaware fought towards overtime, ended up losing by five points. A very competitive game, and North Delaware lost that game. Eventually got a bid to the NIT. We'll talk about that, but first, let's take a listen back to the sounds of the semifinal matchup against the Drexel Dragons. Lidge, driving baseline, scores it. It's a one-point game. 120 to play, Delaware leading by one. Mascaro dribbling to her right. Abby Gonzalez getting set to check back in. Now DeFries, nine on the shot clock. Lawrence, Cargo beyond the arc. Six seconds on the shot clock. Cargo to Mascaro. Tough fading shot. She oh, makes it. Justina Mascaro, the shot of her career. Delaware leads by three. 56 seconds to play. Lidge in the paint. Turnaround shot off the glass. She hits it. 37 seconds to play. Delaware leads by one. 46 to 45. Anabosi double team. They got to break the press. Anabosi to DeFries. They might have to take a timeout. DeFries has got to run. In trouble. Throws it forward. Is it a violation or a timeout? 10 seconds. Adair did not take a timeout in enough time. Delaware turns it over. It's Drexel ball with 26 seconds trailing by one. Drexel brings it into Brown on the right wing. Lidge wide open in the paint. Off the board. No, she missed it. But she draws contact. And Kelsey Lidge will get two shots from the line with 20.9 seconds to go. Lidge at the line to tie it up. She misses it. To tie it up now, she hit it. So Delaware's going to pass it in with 20.9 seconds to go. A chance to win it. Abby Gonzalez, right wing, with the ball, picks up her dribble. Goes to Cargo. 12 seconds to go. Cargo, all alone, isolation. Trying to go inside Anabosi. They get it to her. Seven seconds to go. Anabosi, fading. Jump shot, puts it up. No good. Tied at 46, 2.8 seconds to play. Drexel's going to have the ball in the front court. A chance to pass it in, win this game. Brown gets it to Lidge. Two seconds for the win. No. The ball's loose. They put it up and they score it. Doesn't count. They say no. They will review. A second chance opportunity by Drexel as the clock was winding down. They're going to say no. They likely will review it anyways. But on the surface, it looks like we will head to overtime. No good. We're going to overtime. And Drexel with the ball trying to build on this two-point lead. Woods working on Anabosi. Driving. Picks up her dribble. In trouble. Double teams now. Gets a cutting Nihil to the center. Great pass and a conversion by Bailey Greenberg. That's the CAA Rookie of the Year with a great pass by Nihil. Drexel by four. Under two minutes to play. Anabosi turns it over. Ball is loose. Kick ball goes against Delaware. And Drexel has it with 1.38 to go. And Natasha Adair is going to take a timeout. Under 1.30 to play now. Delaware 24 turnovers in the game. Drexel 16. Lidge backing down to freeze. It's an isolation. And they're going to call a foul on Simone DeFries. Delaware down five, could be six if Lidge makes this. Under 130 to play at this point. It's good. Allison Lewis breaks through the press, finds Gonzalez. 110 to play in regulation. Delaware trails by six. Lewis, right wing, dribbling to her left, behind the back, cuts inside, loses the ball, picks it back up, loses it again. 
and Drexel's got it. Allison Lewis trying to do way too much, and Kelsey Lynch has the ball. Under a minute to go, and you got to start thinking about fouling soon, but the problem is you can't let Anabosi foul, so Abby Gonzalez fouls with 55 seconds to go, and Drexel are possibly beginning to smell another trip to the CAA championship game. DeFries to bring it in. They get it to West quickly. West has got to fire it. She doesn't do so. Instead, she commits an offensive foul. Pretty inexcusable. They got to shoot the three ball. She tried to do a little too much, and that may be the dagger. Four seconds to go. Drexel by five. DeFries bringing it forward, and she'll fire a three. Time's up. Drexel is headed back to the CAA championship game, and Delaware falls short once again. Five years in a row now that the Blue Hens have not made it to the CAA championship game. Those were the sounds of the final two minutes of regulation and the five minutes of overtime. Delaware had a lead in the fourth quarter, 26 turnovers in the game, cargo fouled out, some questionable decisions down the stretch that we will get to, and they go to overtime, and they get outplayed. Drexel goes up, moves on, and in a game, guys, that I, from watching it, I thought... This is a game they had. Justina Mascaro made a, th- a two-point shot, as you heard in the call, with a minute and three seconds, or about a minute to go, to put Delaware up by three points. And your probability of winning a game when you're up by three points with a minute is above 50%. It's not 90%. It's above 50 But the way in which it all fell apart for them was very disappointing in how their, their tournament season Pre- ended. Preview of Cadridge, right? <laughs> Sneak peek? No, it it just kind of got a little bit out of hand towards it the did. end of it. But six turnovers, I believe, in overtime, unacceptable. Too many. Twenty-six for the game. That's just that's. Uh, you don't deserve to win a game. On it. I mean, you're talking about like how much they were up and what comfortable leads they had in the fourth quarter and uh, and on. But I don't think any team deserves to win a game if you have that many in the last two minutes of the fourth quarter and overtime. I think I think Drexel deserved to win that game. And it's remarkable that the game was even where it was when you mm-hmm. consider. 20 turnovers in regulation plus the additional ones in overtime that Delaware even was in a position to win the game and didn't close it out. Uh, it, it speaks to what they did defensively in holding Drexel down to less than 50 points as well in regulation. But when it came down to it, Nicole Anabosi with a shot to win the game, other players with opportunities to take control, and they didn't show up offensively at the end of the game. Anabosi, 11 points. Eight rebounds, three of eleven shooting. Where's the CAA Player of the Year when the game's on the line? Kelsey Lidge, the numbers, as you pointed out to me on Monday, Teddy, still weren't great for her in the final moments of the game. She's Drexel's best player, but she had five points in the final few moments to close the game and make it tight. And you know she wasn't playing her best through three quarters of the game, but she brought it in fourth quarter and overtime. And we didn't see that from the Blue Hens in this game against Drexel. Uh, they let it slip away. They were. Uh, go ahead, Jake. Yeah, I don't know if there was anything I can add that was unsaid. I was on my way home, and when I popped out of the subway tunnel, and my connection kind of restored, and I can hear the call again. Shouts to tune in. Uh, yeah, uh, t- yeah, tune in radio. If you're not even in the Delaware area, you can still listen to the calls on the show. Um, you can hear the energy there, and then after the turnovers and the timeouts, you can kind of feel. And you, Teddy, I think you and Danny played it well that Delaware kind of just gave the game away. They had, a, like you said, a three-point lead with a minute left, and the game just kind of slipped away. So for a listener, and especially somebody who has covered Delaware, it was kind of kind of just nerve-ending nerve, nerve ending to see that these teams, especially Delaware, fought hard and could not secure the victory. 
what am I going to do? Sit, sit sit there and if they go if if they start turning it over, Delaware turns it over. You you have to be somewhat pessimistic and critical and at least a little bit cynical in that situation. 26 turnovers is inexcusable. And Simone DeFries had a really good game. I thought Lizzie O'Leary, Mascaro had some really good moments, so I don't want to sit here and have the tone of this conversation be right. really bad. They played with the number one team sure. in the CAA for a long— played them as close yeah. as they had all season in the most important game of the year. And the first quarter, they were great. They outscored Drexel 19-13 to in the first quarter. An absolute dud in the second quarter. They scored one point, gave up 11, and then they outscored Drexel 17-10 to in the third. They got going, they shared the ball— Enabosi and Cargo were both in foul trouble, as you mentioned, Brandon. Enabosi was not very good because he had to be very careful because he had three fouls most of the game. And in the fourth, they were right in there until these turnovers caught up with them. And in overtime, it, once Cargo fouled out, Allison Lewis came in, turned it over a couple times, and they didn't make shots. So you throw all that together, and Drexel proved to be the better team in the game. But looking back on it now, I certainly think that they are, they had the pieces this season to be able to beat a team like that, but they didn't play their best game. 58 points given up to Drexel is, is impressive, considering that they gave up over 70 in the two previous times. And Northeastern, what did they get? What was it amid? 60, 60 something and 70, the two times I played Northeastern earlier this season. Yeah, and- no, it got up there. No, I'm saying, right. I'm saying yeah, yeah, yeah. in the two games, they gave up 60 or 74. But, right. in, but in yes. the game... They the, lost both in the regular but season. But in the quarterfinals. Yeah. Right. So it, against Drexel and Northeastern, in the regular season, they were 0-4 combined. They beat Northeastern, took one of three. They almost beat Drexel, but they held in the 58. So there's a lot of bright spots here, but obviously the tone post-game from Adair was... She wasn't happy. I, I could be off, too, but I don't know the exact number, but Anna Bosi, I think, had zero points in the first half of this game. If I'm not mistaken, we'll have to check it up. And if it wasn't zero, it was very close to zero. But again, I think the way Anabosi was kind of held in check this whole tournament, a little disappointing on her end because, uh, I mean, you guys mentioned it. Where's the CAA player of the year? You kind of have to show up there. And I know it's a team game, but you kind of have to ride your MVP and just wasn't there. I agree. I'm checking right now. I, I, this is unofficial because I'm re- browsing really quickly, right. but I think you might be right. Uh, and again, if it's not zero, it's close to zero. It's not more than two or three points, Teddy, and that's unacceptable for your MVP. So how surprised were you guys with all of this being said that the season's not over, that they'll play in the WNIT? Well, I think uh, I was, I guess, one of the guys you could say. I, I We have a little group check. You, were, you, I were, said the, NIT the, you were the guy who brought it up. I was like, NIT question mark? And you guys really weren't too high on it. it and uh, did they deserve it? I would probably say like closer to no, but they got in, they beat the, they beat a Northeastern team. So you take that out. Um, Elon's going to the NCAA tournament. And then, so it's kind of between Drexel. Drexel's obviously in. And then who's that? The third team, JMU. I don't know if JMU got the bid or not. So they got the bid, but I guess process of elimination, it's, it might be a little too much for CAA teams because maybe two teams, but three teams getting in, you know, I would say, oh, well, a, a little bit of a surprise, but uh, I mean, I, I wasn't ready to shoot down the idea completely, and I think they look at other things as well. Um, uh, there was a couple teams like Rutgers who declined the invite after not getting into the round of 64, and then I, I think you also factor in maybe that you do have CAA Player of the Year or CAA all, um, uh, members that are in the CAA All-Rookie Team. So I think maybe you factor those things in, and they maybe sneak in at the very last spot, so not completely surprised. 
And when you think about the fact that the, the, the NCAA tournament has 64 teams, the NIT has 64, if you're not one of the 128 best teams in the country, you're probably really bad, yeah. or at least mediocre to bad. So you look at what Delaware did above half in the CAA, fought with the number one team. I don't think the fact that they fought with them merits their selection or their invite, but maybe they, they, they did improve they this year. We'll give them enough. that. They did improve enough. Clearly, I would say clearly. they had just enough, yeah, to make that. I like the selection. I think that they'll bring enough excitement, bring uh, enough uh, energy we, to make it worth something. We talked about this, Jake. Georgetown, not a great team. Yeah, I don't think this They have is... a chance to win. Yeah. I, yeah. They sh- they, Mike was telling me, yes, Mike's going to be calling the game tomorrow. Mike told me yesterday they should win this game, which I agree with. Yeah, from what, what they should win. I saw, I think yeah. Georgetown was 15 like and close. 12? Yeah, 15 and 12 yeah. was what I was going to say. I, it's a disappointment. It's, it's not a, hey, we're going to try to beat Drexel. They should be the favorite in right. this game. Yeah. Drexel way better than Georgetown, so... You, and I would even probably say Elon, JMU, and whoever were up at the top for the CAA. Well, and yeah, yeah. I was just going to say that if they do win against Georgetown, this would be a feat. This would be their first ever WNIT win in program history. Now, obviously, they've made it further in the big dance, the NCAA tournament, when a certain Alina Deladon was here. But if they win on Friday, tomorrow, it'll be their first ever WNIT win. So despite... To me, what was kind of a sour taste and a disappointment in that semifinal round, the way that that game played out, there's still the potential for this season to be record-setting in a way. First year of Natasha Adair, there's there's a potential for the kind of outlook, I think, at the end of this year to look a lot different if they win a WNIT tournament game or two compared to what it would have been if their season ended with that loss to Drexel. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you look at it, it gives you a way to kind of Say, hey, we did something we haven't done in a couple of years. Right. And then it launches you into the next part of the program, the off season for next year. And you start thinking, we have mm-hmm. all five of these players coming back. We just won a postseason game. You know, we ran into some better teams than us later in the tournaments that we played in. But next year we'll be better and we'll be able to go around further. And then a year after that, around further. And then you're looking at a CAA champ if they can continue this progress in the same linear path that they've been on since Adair came in. To this program, you think about, I think, three wins better than last year in CAA play, a round further in the CAA tournament, and then this would be kind of another step beyond that. Real quick, Brandon, before we go to break, Elena Daladon was on campus last, what was it, Thursday? Thursday, last week. Thursday. Okay, you, you, because I was interested by this. We need to go to break, but I want to know quickly. Sure. You asked her if she still follows this program. What did she say? Um, Not as much as she would like. She... She kind of has some of what of an eye on it, but she doesn't know quite the particulars. I had asked her, also asked her about Nicole Anabosi since Anabosi, I think two days before I spoke with her, was announced as CIA Player of the Year. Like, hey, look, last CIA Player of the Year was you. Now here's another one. But she didn't mm-hmm. know a lot about her game. Um, but she had talked to Coach Adair, and if you read my story with the review, you'll see that she she thinks that Adair is a good fit for this program and for the direction that Delaware needs to go on since Martin was fired. But not quite, um, you know, watching every single game, the way we, maybe we are. Elena Deladon, an author now. Got a couple books. Check, yeah. out, check out Brandon's story for more info. NFL Free Agency next on The Cage. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. We're going to preview the Delaware women's basketball team's game tomorrow against Georgetown in the first down of the NIT. If you missed it, yes, the women's team is headed to the NIT. They'll face Georgetown it is head coach Natasha Adair, first-year Delaware head coach. Her former team, they'll go up against from Georgetown. And we just 
Brandon and I were, yeah, go ahead. Let's just give yeah. our listeners, in case you're not familiar, a general, what is the NIT? What, what, what is this tournament? Well, it's the same bracket as the participation trophy. Yeah, like the, it's six, people might get confused yeah. that this is the big dance. It's yeah. not. Well, six it's still postseason. Well, play. I, I I originally thought it was less, but because I, I guess I didn't follow as much. But it is sixty-four teams, which is the same number of teams. But if you're not good enough to make the NCAA you exposure, tournament, extra playing time, etc. Yep. Which is why I'm still confused why Rutgers declined to go. I think they were more a little. I guess salty is the word on not getting the <laughs> bid for the actual 64. So yeah, it was yeah. more of a protest. Like I we're guess. not going to settle. Yeah, we're not, not going to settle. settle. I don't which, settle. which is common. It happens with one or two teams every year in the men's NIT and then when the women's NIT. So it's not like this like foreign thing that just happened. It's It happens a lot. Well, if you're a team that wasn't going to go to the right. March Madness tournament, you're thrilled. Mm-hmm. As we see here, you're Delaware. As we like, see here, do you, Delaware. Like, is Notre Dame? Is the men's Notre Dame team in the NIT? Oh, they have to be. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look. Unless they decline. If they decline, they, get you know the why? Because yeah. you know what I mean. Like they got the invite, but it's, it is what it is. I don't know. Uh, I I think the NIT obviously though is a great opportunity, and I think everybody should accept it. And I forget who said it. It was it. It might have been Teddy. It's like what the top like. 200 or 100 and what's 64 plus 64 well, 128 there you go way to go way to go math real quick. congratulations yeah, if, if Notre Dame is the one seat of the men's NIT by the way oh so they are and they took they're, the, they're okay. facing number four Penn State on Saturday but like if they didn't take it like would you be mad at them no. If, if Delaware didn't take no, it? No, if Notre Dame didn't take it. Oh, I don't they care. They declined the invite. I also I, I agree with Brandon I also don't care but <laughs> if they didn't like you really it's not like a, a big deal, like you know what I mean. Whatever. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm pulling up Georgetown women's schedule here, but this team is just about 500 the entire year, and we were talking about it the other day. I think something that really lurched this women's team to really get a, a, a spot in this in this um, NIT if they weren't going to already is the way they played against Villanova in the Big East tournament. They beat them, and then they lost to DePaul in the later round of the Big East tournament. So when you look at the Georgetown women's team's record, they're 15 and 15. They're 9 and 9 in the conference and the Delaware team went up against Georgetown in the past. So these two teams have seen each other and it's not going to be some whole random matchup. Obviously Natasha Adair has seen him too. Last year at the Bob. Here we go. Sunday December 4th. This would have been 2016. Yes. 2016 at the Bob. Georgetown beat Delaware 54-46 to in that game. Not that it matters at all now, but Nicole Anabosi scored 19 points. Hannah Jardine, who's gone, scored 12. And it stirred the pot a little bit. Was that because they had a better coach or better players? Oh, Well, you mean Georgetown? Right. Did Georgetown have a better sure. coach or better players? Deanna White scored 18. I need to check and see if Deanna White is on the roster for this season, but... Again, we need to familiarize ourselves with this Georgetown team. But it's very clear that Delaware should feel comfortable going in and, and, and ideally p- picking up a win against a team that they've been very competitive against in recent seasons. I believe the winner of this game would play Duquesne. I hope I'm saying Duquesne. that. Duquesne. Duquesne. Or Miami of Ohio. Or Mi- Miami of Ohio. And I don't know anything about those two teams. This really is the cut-rate tournament when you in get Ohio. Miami of Ohio. Yeah, I mean... That defines the NIT for you. And the NIT, you don't have... You're not going to <laughs> Omaha or you're not going to Salt Lake City where you play a whole bunch of games. You go to Georgetown because Georgetown Tiny evidently country. is the higher seed. 
So okay. I, I don't completely understand why they, they they won less games, but Georgetown is a higher seed. And so didn't we look and they got they made it as far further than Delaware did in their conference tournament? Yeah. Well, they made it to the they, had, they uh, also had two games in their conference. Yeah, I, I'm gonna pull, conference champion. I, I'm not sure. If they, I'm not sure if they get a buy in the first one, but either way, they they won a game in the conference tournament uh-huh. before losing to DePaul. Because we looked at their record at first, and we we're like, why are they? Even yeah, in why this? why yeah. are they why are they in this? But it's a, it, in order for Delaware to win this game, you have to figure the big guns are gonna need to step up. The big gun. The big is gun. Need to the step big up. gun. Like, named... Can we not refer to her as a gun? <laughs> okay. Anabosi. Wait, that's like it's it's a phrase. You know they use it. The big guns. Yeah, but it's there are better phrases to use. Okay. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> I, Fair. Brandon's the producer in you... the back. Hey, let's not. That's not gonna fly. <laughs> the big, the big, sh- the, uh, the big shots probably the isn't CAA even any, any better. Of the year, any better. Nicole Anabosi should Nicole... show up if they want to win this game. That's what you guys are trying to say. And. <laughs> More complimentary play from Big Simone DeFries would sure be helpful. <laughs> that yes. is back on track here. Yes, DeFries yeah. DeFries played pretty well. I mean, she made the all tournament team in the CAA. She had what five turnovers in the Drexel game, which you don't love, but led the team in scoring in that one. She played about what you would like from her, I think. And she did get voted on the all tournament team. She picked up what yeah, five or six turnovers in the final game, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was looking at something, but y- y- you said it. Um, but she's going to have to have a big game, and they're going to have yeah. to play sound defense. And I also, I also think the foul trouble early on is something to avoid, right? With both hindered Anabosi's game and Cargo down the stretch, causing Allison Lewis to get in at the end of the game. If Cargo doesn't foul out, Lewis doesn't play in fourth quarter and overtime. Lewis doesn't turn it over five times in twelve minutes. You know. Those are the things that they got to keep an eye on. Yeah, uh, I I finally pulled up the Big East tournament. They got a bye in the first <laughs> round. Georgetown did. They beat Villanova. They lost to DePaul. DePaul eventually won the whole thing. So they are going to the big dance. I could say that right. Big dance. That's a real thing. Yeah, yeah, I could yes. say. Okay, just making sure. All right. Um. Anyways, in the NIT, I don't know if you call it a big dance. Actually, though, no, the, that's not what I'm the saying. Medium a, dance, a, a small dance. shindig. The prom? No, no, I'm not talking about the. I'm not talking about okay. the NIT. Look, you're I, talking about the actual. Yeah, correct. I said DePaul, DePaul made won the big, the big East, correct. so they made yeah. the, they made the big dance. Right. They made the big gotcha. dance. But, anyways, you would like to see more than 16 points from Anabosi in this game tomorrow. Yes, I would. Any, I, I, I'm almost going to say I'd like to see more than 20 points. I, I know 16 to 20 is not the biggest range of a. Uh, freedom there, but right. I'd like to see her score twenty plus points. In this I mean, game. you're in the NIT tournament. I agree with you completely. She has to have a big game. This yeah. isn't. I'm not trying to compare a CAA tournament to an NIT tournament, but this is it. Like, let's have a big game here. It's now. the same level of competition. It's, it's, again, the, yeah, I, same level of competition, and it should about right. So I think she needs to have a big game. I, I think they need to treat it like the same. Yeah, and we all we all agree to think off the top that this Drex this. Georgetown team is not as good as Drexel. Correct. Right? Yeah. So so you go in with right. the mindset of, let's feed Anabosi, let's go get a win. Probably not as good as JMU either. They play JMU close. Probably not, Probably as, not good as good as Elon. Elon, they played Elon close. You know what I mean? I mean it should be a good game. What, what, do we say, what do we say after the game against Northeastern? I, 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 you said that if they didn't beat Northeastern, that would have been a disappointment. But where, where, I forget what you said as far as how they needed to play against Drexel how you evaluate the season and have your expectations changed on the outcome of this season or how do you evaluate the season now that they made the NIT? Well, I thought it was a comparison from last year because they lost 
against William and Mary in William and Mary, correct? Quarterfinals. In the, in the quarterfinals, they got the first round by. So um, I remember asking Mike in pregame a, a few weeks ago, why is this year different than, why would this year be different than last year? And again, Nicole Anabosi was obviously one of the answers. But obviously to to basically get to that game where I think Nicole Anabosi wasn't really as much as a factor in the CAA tournament, I thought it was a big step. Um, and also I remember you and I watching the UNCW game concluding prior to that game. and They got ripped up. They got ripped up, and it's kind of funny to see Tina Martin going home and Natasha Adair advancing. So I thought there was a difference in last year. I thought there was a noticeable, excuse me, a noticeable improvement. I thought it was enough for me to not consider this season a success, but better than last year. That's all it really was for me, just the comparison of the two years. Did you realize that they hang up banners in the bob if they make the NIT? Really? I, I just noticed I that the other day. They make the NIT or yes. do something in no, the NIT? No, because no, they've never won in the NIT. There are there are banners oh. in, in the top of the Bob Carpenter Center that say, Women's NIT. When's the last time they went? The to th- the year after Deladon. Deladon. So 2014-15. It says Women's NIT. 2014-2015. Not yeah. even like win, not even round. No, it, it, just says, it just says Women's NIT. It, hypothetically, if they win a bunch of games, they're gonna, um, are they going to amend it and say tr- Women's uh, NIT? Statue. <laughs> Two rounds, victory, semifinals, like... I don't know. A statue of Natasha (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Holding a Hoya, whatever (laughs) that is. (laughs) I just found it interesting. Yeah, I mean... I don't know, to me it feels like... It's an accomplishment. That's literally a participation trophy. That's what that is. It is, it's like, hey, you made it. Don't you hang them for CAA championships? You do. That's that's what it is. Can we go around the huddle here with with this game and tonight's uh, men's games in the big dance? Delaware, Georgetown, 7 o'clock tomorrow. It's the first round of the NIT. How about this, as opposed to just your outcome? Uh, a b- bold prediction or, or a prediction as far as a player and what they're going to do and who's going to win this game? Also, for just to say the Delaware-Georgetown game, if Delaware wins, they'll next the second round game will probably even be concluded before the next show. So, No, that's wrong. The second really? round game would be 19th? on... 19th? The second round game will probably be, be on Monday or Tuesday. Oh, you you're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, you you're right. Twentieth or something. Yes, yes, yes. And the, the third round game, if they happen to get there, would be probably thir- next Friday or something like Correct, that. Correct. Yeah. Okay. You're mm-hmm. right. Thanks. Thanks for clarifying. My prediction. So you want to do score and player? Is that what we're doing? Well, not score. Who's going to win the game and wh- and how, who who do you think is going to step yeah, maybe up? Maybe a hot take. I don't know. Just, I think, just something I think, casual. Keep it smooth. I think Delaware wins the basketball game. And I think Delaware wins the basketball game with Bailey Cargo hitting five three-pointers. Oh, my god. That's a hot take. That's, that's four on the spicy meter. I know. Four on the that's probably as many as she's hit in the last five games. Wow. You're right. Four on the, you, said, you said a hot take. I took it. All right. All right. There go you ahead, go. Brandon. Good prediction. Bold I, prediction. I think they're going to lose. I'll say that. Um, is that hot? Probably not. Um, it's pessimistic. Yeah, I think they're going to lose. I, I As think... his hands are crossed. <laughs> he looks like a, with his sweater on, old man. Yeah, tell us why, Brandon. I, I think it's it's such an emotional high to get in when you probably weren't expecting it that I don't know if they'll be able to... It just feels to me like a, tra- like a trap game or whatever, a letdown game. Like I don't know mm-hmm. if they'll be able to, to focus in on this game in particular um, after at least... To us, it being a big surprise, I imagine it was a surprise to them. Maybe it wasn't, but I, I mean, I think they should have thought it was a surprise, <laughs> if that makes sense. I don't think they should have expected to be in the NIT. Yeah. Um, so I think it'll be a, somewhat of an emotional letdown. They weren't playing their best basketball against Drexel, at least offensively. Defensively, they probably were. I think they'll get a little bit better offensively. 
Um, but I don't see Bailey Cargo or Abby Gonzalez all of a sudden showing up and being a big factor in this game. Um, so for my kind of player take, I'll say off the bench, you get a good, like, eight points from Lizzie O'Leary, maybe, which would be a difference from I like it. before. I like that <laughs> one. That's field goals. That's for um, field goals. Otherwise, I mean, I think Cargo is going to give you 30 minutes, three points. Um, and Abo- one out of five that I predicted. <laughs> and Abosi will have her solid, like, 15 and 10. And, you you know, you just kind of be down the line and they'll lose by five. I'll go with uh, Blue Hens' victory. I think it'll be closer, maybe a two- or three-possession game. But I think the Blue Hens will win this. And I think the mindset has to and will change for Anna Bosi. I just don't think she's going to have that same CA mindset. I think it's kind of a reset in some cases. I think she'll have a big game, uh, probably a 20-10 game. I'll go with that. I think the Blue Hens will uh, make it to the second round. We'll see what happens in the second round, but I think they'll make it there. I think they're going to win too, and I think Abby Gonzalez is going to have at least 15 points. Okay, because she played That'd be a season high. I, I believe so because she's been playing really well these last couple games, and I'm not going to say she's going to get a double double, but I think I would like to see her pass the ball a good have a good six seven assists. It's going to be tough to ask, but it's just something that I think that she's capable of doing. So I'm expecting Abby Gonzalez to have a big game. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. NFL free agency officially begins today, right? Today was signing day. Correct. Which is people can begin signing. Obviously, they've been talking for a while. The the term that was intend to sign yeah. all that. I is mean, it, it all official. A lot of this conversation started back in before the Super Bowl when Alex Smith was traded to Washington and backlash. The the response to that, which the first move we'll start with. Kirk Cousins, obviously out of Washington, signing with the Minnesota Vikings, three years, $84 million, fully guaranteed for Cousins, the new Vikings quarterback, Case Keenum, gone. He's in Denver, Bridgewater, Bradford, all gone. We'll talk about them. First of all, Cousins to Minnesota, how much better does he make them? He makes them a lot better, I think. I don't think you can project Case Keenum to be as good as he was last year again. I think he's he's a better quarterback than what he showed in uh, LA, but I don't think he's quite the same caliber guy that he was throughout all of last season. You also add back Dalvin Cook, and that offense looks really dangerous to me. I think Kirk Cousins is a borderline top 10 quarterback. You would have one of the best running games if Cook is healthy and one of the best defenses in the NFL. Kind of foreshadows my cage rage here, so I'll keep it kind of quick. I think Kirk Cousins makes the team better, but for $84 million fully guaranteed, you could have done something better for the team. I think that's fair. It's less than $30 million. I thought A lot of people were projecting $30 million a year, so I think that's fair. Uh, nobody really mentioned the wide receivers. It's still a good tandem there. Um, I think they're, I don't know about another Super Bowl run, but they'll depending on how good the defense well, obviously is. obviously I mean, look at these Eagles. Yeah, of course. Uh, but, yeah, depending on how good the defense stays, they're going to be right back in it next year. My friend texted me on Tuesday evening after this had happened. Minnesota is going to the Super Bowl, and I was and I responded. I said, I said, no, the Eagles are still the most complete team. And I said, as somebody who's watched Kirk Cousins in a Redskins jersey for four years, I am forever skeptical because Cousins does not make throws in the critical moments of games and in the red zone. Nick Foles. So I'm just saying he's going to make him better, and I agree that he's going to make him better. But this I is think that's fair. This yeah. is no ticket to to the Super Bowl. This is no ticket to the two seed at at the very least. I agree. Yeah. It makes them better, but I want these Vikings fans to understand that there have been some issues with this guy, and you've got to understand. You can't look at Cousins and say, oh, we just hit the jackpot. 
Mm-mm. Especially with what the Rams rage, Teddy. Okay. <laughs> Especially okay. with what the Los out. Angeles Rams did, also in off in the off season. I think that the Vikings are, are either two or three right now in the NFC. So the after this happened or as it happened, Keenum goes before, to, actually, but before it happens, yes. yeah, Denver moved on before. Keenum goes to Denver. Bradford goes to Arizona, Arizona, and. <laughs> Teddy Bridgewater goes to the Jets. So suddenly, who I don't even know who their backup would be. Maybe they got to figure that out. The Vikings now. The Vikings did not have any other quarterback on the roster. But uh, those, they traded. I think they traded for Trevor Simeon. Yeah, they n- did. Now, now yes. they have him. But at, at the From time yeah, at the, yeah, of yeah. the last trade, there was no active quarterback. Keenum, Bradford, Bridgewater. What's the best fit? Or, or are they all kind of hey? They get these teams get a quarterback. I like the Bradford to Arizona, but the Whoa. price, the price, I don't like at all. I don't. I don't like that at all. I mean, yeah, twenty million a year is way too much. I don't, I don't care if it was five million. Oh, okay. Because, well, I, I, because you cannot rely on Sam Bradford. He's the only active quarterback on that roster in Arizona. I mean, I think he's if like he's, Carson Palmer, but a little better. But, but if he's your like your bridge, Sam Bradford is not better than Carson Palmer. Last you're, year, you're from bringing, last year, I think he'll be better. Yeah. Uh, regardless, you're bringing Bradford in. To be your bridge. At this point in his yeah. career, he is not a franchise quarterback. He is your bridge to mm-hmm. the next guy. And a bridge quarterback, a good one, is somebody who can be relied upon for 16 games and give you league average production. That's what Josh McCown is. That's what Ryan Fitzpatrick was a couple of years ago. That's not what Sam Bradford is. You cannot rely on him. You're going to have to throw whoever they draft in April into the fire a couple weeks before you want to because Bradford inevitably is going to go down next season. You also pick a game manager quarterback or a game manager style quarterback in a team that does not need a game manager style because when you get in crunch time, when you need to run the time, you have David Johnson. He'll do all the game managing you're ever going to need. So when you need those downfield throws and you have Larry Fitzgerald streaking down the sidelines, are you trusting Sam Bradford to hit Larry Fitzgerald mid-stride? Like, that's... Probably not the mo- that's probably not the quarterback that I would have picked for that style offense. It feels like a ticket to six and ten or seven and nine. I agree. In in my mind, uh, outside of that, I like Keenum to Denver. Um, you know, the bigger splash would have been going after Cousins. This again is a bridge move. I think that they look at a young quarterback in this year's draft. I don't know if they'll take one. Maybe next year. Um, we'll have to see what they think of Pat- Paxton Lynch long term. He's going to stay there. He was a first round pick two years ago but he has not really developed the way they'd want him to. Keenum will keep the, the team above water, and they still have a pretty talented defense. They still have a few of those pieces on offense. Uh, I think it's a situation where they can now vie for a wild card with him, whereas before they were kind of stuck in that 5-11, and 6-10. Keeping it with quarterbacks, this trade, Tyrod Taylor from Buffalo to Cleveland, the Browns, a number of moves. They also got Jarvis Landry, the wide receiver, Demarius Randall, the cornerback, Carlos Hyde, the running back. So they're doing a lot of these moves from the Browns' perspective. I know Jake is always all about the Browns. I, I don't know whether you li- like them or you like to talk about just, them. Just the seventh last like week and a half, they are. I'll like say to- they are the seventh best receiving core in football. They have skyrocketed up the rankings. This offense is going to be pretty exciting. I don't think they win more than five football games this year. But Which is a 400% increase. <laughs> yeah, I said four. I said four last time. Now I say five. Yeah. Um, but I think that— Carlos Hyde give him the extra bump? Yeah, I, I, I do think okay. Carlos Hyde gives him the bump there. Uh, but Tyrod Taylor going to Cleveland, it's a clean slate for him. That team is just throwing people together and seeing if they can do it. But if you need anyone to help out a quarterback, it's Jarvis Landry. He is— 
I saw a tweet that said, if you need uh, five yards, Jarvis Landry gets you seven. And if you need 10 yards, Jarvis Landry gets you seven. Like, that is the player that, yeah, it was a good tweet. Like, if you need someone, like, Jarvis Landry's good for those seven-yard checkdowns. What is, so is it just I a, like it. a hitch or what? Oh, checkdown, okay. Yeah, slant. Okay. The slant checkdown pass. But, yeah, I inside, think that. Inside cross. Landry, like, what is it that gets him seven so Landry and Gordon. <laughs> Landry and Gordon. I love them. That. Scary tandem. And we'll see yes, what sir. they do with Corey Coleman, too. I like this for Buffalo as well. I think that's not quite they been the popular opinion. They can finally move on. But they just move on. They have, I think, five picks now in the top 65 in this mm-hmm. draft with the third rounder they picked up from Cleveland. They moved Gordy Glenn in a different move to Cincinnati to move up from 21 to 12 in the first round. I think they're taking, dare I say, the Philadelphia Eagles approach of packaging as many picks as they can to get close enough to where on draft day they could move up to inside the top 10 and, and get their guy. And be a quarterback. They'll get their guy. Yeah. Still have Shady McCoy, right? They, yeah, they still have some pieces, but it's a yeah. rebuild. And I think last year they weren't expecting to make the playoffs. It was it was outside, you know, it was good for the organization, for the fans, but they were making moves throughout the past couple of seasons, including the Darby trade and the Watkins trade, to indicate that they were rebuilding, and now they fully go into that rebuild mode, which I think is good because you're not going to beat the Patriots until Tom Brady retires. I just want to touch on one more quarterback that we kind of mentioned, and that's Teddy Bridgewater. What was the point of bringing in Teddy Bridgewater? Because you're not bringing him in to be your franchise guy. I I, I just don't see that for the team. You're not bringing him to be your bridge guy because he just signed Josh McCown, who's a better bridge quarterback. So, is it backup I could have made a real a real bad joke. Oh, go oh for it. Go for McCown's it. Oh, yeah. a better bridge no, no, no. quarterback I, I, than yeah. Teddy Bridgewater. <laughs> no pun intended. You're welcome. Um, but yeah, that I, went way over. I don't. I don't. I don't see the the point in having him. The Jets are likely to pick Baker Mayfield at six if he's still there, which would be a great one for Josh McCown to teach Baker Mayfield on and off the field. Baker should act. still be there at six. I, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I think Baker Mayfield goes six, and Teddy Bridgewater's just there. Uh, uh, it won't be a backup. Yeah, it's a backup. Honorable but, mention, but, 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 AJ McCarron. Baker Mayfield will be the backup. They'll put, they'll put Mayfield in before they put Bridgewater in. He'll be the backup to the backup. That's true. That's, just, that's kind of sad in my mind for like Teddy Bridgewater that two years ago we were like, yep, the Vikings have their dude. Like It's it's time for the Vikings to shine. Now they're not shining Happens. now. Yeah, but that's football. Yeah. It's a business. Injuries happen. They're in a better p- situation now. Uh, last move also while we're talking about the Jets, Isaiah Crowell, the running back going to the Jets. And as we move into some of the bigger moves that happen in free agency, the Packers active for some of the players they're bringing in and losing. Jordy Nelson, maybe a surprise move to many, their wide receiver, released just coming out today that he is going to the Oakland Raiders with John Gruden and maybe a new look Raiders offense. Also, uh, they did get Jarrett McKinnon, correct, from the Vikings, the Raiders. I'll have to, that may be the 49ers, 49ers. Another California team. I'm going to check this I in a second. So. But we'll, we'll stay with Jordy Nelson right now to, to the Raiders. It looks like a good fit. Well, there is no quarterback wide receiver tandem at, that is better and QBR and touchdowns than Aaron Rodgers and Jordy Nelson is. That's why the shock is coming because last year it showed that with a good quarterback, i.e. Aaron Rodgers, the sky is the limit for Jordy Nelson. And you've seen that plenty of times. There's He's caught the most touchdown passes by any quarterback not named Antonio Brown. Uh, but now he goes to Oakland, where he'll stand alongside Amari Cooper. He'll have Marshawn Lynch in the backfield. He'll have Jared Cook in the tight end position. I think that offense got a lot better. Gives Derek Carr another weapon. Gives him a better weapon than Crabtree was. I like this Oakland team. I like the move. It might take a little getting used to on the Green Bay side, but they have Aaron Rodgers. They'll make it work. 
Yeah, for Green Bay, the motivation to cut Jordy Nelson is that he had a $10 million cap figure. So for his production, he probably wasn't going to be worth quite that amount of money. In December, they had extended Devontae Adams to a four-year, $57 million deal. So with Cobb, Adams' new contract coming on the books this offseason, and Nelson at $10 million, they had to get rid of Cobb or Nelson, and Nelson was kind of the guy trending downwards. So they, they take him out. What do you guys think of getting Jimmy Graham as that next receiving option in Green Bay? It's a good fit, in my opinion. I, you look at where the Seahawks have gone over the last couple of years, that defense falling apart, and that offense mainly just led by Russell Wilson. But if you're Rodgers, that's that's a great target to have. Look at what what he was in, in New Orleans with Drew Brees. So losing Jordy Nelson, Nelson has to hurt if you're a Packers fan, but... If Rodgers stays healthy, you know this offense is going to be clicking. You give, him another, you give him another weapon. Too. Yeah, I agree. You, you filled the gap up nicely. There's, you, you, you lose your best red zone target, and you put in one of the best red zone targets. You got Devontae you Adams, Randall Cobb. They, they'll be fine. They, they'll be totally fine offensively. As, I agree. As uh, Nelson goes to Oakland, Michael Crabtree released from there, keeping it in the West. Let's talk 49ers. They continue to make moves. Richard Sherman released from the Seahawks. Going to the Niners, and if he's healthy, you got to figure that's another good deal for them. I mean, he's the, his last four years of production, he has the lowest completion percentage uh, for quarterbacks targeting receivers guarded by him. He's a great player. He is a great personality, as we've seen, especially uh, last time that the 49ers and the Seahawks played a big game. And I think the big reason, and I saw this come out, is that a big reason why Richard Sherman picked there is so that he can play the Seahawks twice per year. Like they, they came out and Maybe said the sole reason, but no, that's okay. definitely he, he a reason. Yeah, like, sure. Right, my only reason is coming here to play the yeah. Seahawks, but he said he a reason why he wanted to go is up like north. He likes that area. Yeah, he so wants to play against his former team twice. Um, it's a great fit. That defense, uh, which hasn't really been elite, is now crawling towards that progression. I don't think they're there yet. But crawling toward you're talking about the, the Niners. The defense. Niners, yeah. The Seahawks dumping everybody that did a lot of impact for them. Yeah, I mean, that, I was about to get to that. The Legion of Boom is over, right? Yeah. Like, you can officially say that they moved Sherman, they moved Bennett. There's been discussions about Camp Chancellor. And Wagner's, I'm going to say, declining. Yeah. Um. So, so for the other side of this move, Seattle's tearing it down. And it's been a sort of dysfunctional relationship with Sherman basically ever since that Marshawn Lynch, like, well, it wasn't his fault. It was Russell Wilson throwing the pick on the slant route from the one-yard line. Since that point, Seattle has not been the same as an organization, and this is finally the offseason where they've decided to tear it down. And I think it's safe to say that L.A. is the favorite in that division, and then San Francisco is now becoming probably the next team up right behind them between what they did in grabbing Jimmy Garoppolo, what Garoppolo showed over the course of the last, what was it, five games of the season that they went 5-0, and yep. and then now adding Richard Sherman. They add Jarek McKinnon, We'll um, confirm that McKinnon to the 49ers. He's their running back because they lose Carlos Hyde. Which I think is a fabulous fit. Yeah, I agree. And that's the overpaid, direction of the league. but a fabulous fit. But everybody's getting overpaid. It's true. So true. it's with the market. You're not wrong. Yeah, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo is getting $36 million. Yeah. Uh, so this team has money to spend. And I think they're putting it in some pretty good places. 
the Chicago Bears have made a few moves. Trey Burton, tight end to the Bears. Uh, Taylor Gabriel, wide receiver to the Bears. Allen Robinson, wide receiver to the Bears. Jaguars signed Dante Moncrief to, to get another wide receiver in there. So a few moves there for the new look Bears. The Eagles have made moves. They've lost a few people, but they've brought in. The, so Torrey Smith traded. Haloti Nada, defense signed. Michael Bennett, defense hold, hold signed. Nada. It's not official? They, they reported that they had agreed to the deal but he's now with the Eagles in their practice facility, and there there might be a snag there. Hmm. So that might not come through. Hmm. Well, as it would stand, even without him, the defensive line for the Eagles gets even better. And just, yeah, a, it, just a smidge better. <laughs> I saw a report Jeremy Macklin possibly interested in a reunion, but showing not to showing not to be content even after winning the whole thing. Absolutely, they've built this thing on a franchise quarterback, which you know. Not everybody can get into that position to get that, but everybody can invest in lines, offensive and defensive, and they continue to do that this offseason with the addition of Michael Bennett. On the offensive line, they've retained everybody. They're going to keep Jason Peters there. They restructured Lane Johnson to free up some salary cap space. On the defensive line, still question mark with Vinnie Curry. And as well. What's gonna, yeah, and Hurts restructured well, yeah. this morning. Um, so so they're, they're continuing to make moves. On the defensive line, we'll have to see what happens with Vinnie Curry. I'm also curious to see what they do with Michael Kendricks, having brought back Nigel Branham yesterday. But they also lost Patrick Robinson, which was expected, but the Eagles had interest in bringing him back. He was their nickel corner. So they might not really have a target. So you think maybe they can keep Kendricks and Curry on the books, but we'll see with that team. Either way, they're, they're making moves to get better. And Which they were you over. They had that. to. They were over. They had to. I think Howie Roseman's going about it the right way, though. Yeah, and you yeah. Ha- you have to try to keep getting better because every other team's trying to get better too. If you're if you're not, your guys are just aging and you're stepping behind. They've been aggressive, which you like. We've. I was going to say, out of all of the moves that happened in free agency, which one either surprised you positively the most? You were like happy, surprised it happened, or which one are you like stunned out of all of them, surprised that it happened? I'm surprised Trey Burton got so much money. Four years, 32. I guess I shouldn't get hung up on that, but that's basically Zach Ertz money. And I think Burton's going to be really good. And I think it's a great fit in Chicago. And obviously Philly fans will love him forever. But just as a pure tight end, he is the prototype of what you want now. Basically a wide receiver who attaches to the line. Think about Evan Ingram, Jordan Reed. Um, so I'm surprised about that, but I think he's going to really be a beast. I- I'm also surprised a little bit with... The two New England guys leaving, Dion Lewis and Danny Amendola. That was what um, I was going to say, Danny Amendola. Not, not that I think it really hurts them long term. Uh, and I think Lewis was pretty much a foregone conclusion that he was going to leave, and that's that's fine. They'll they'll put Rex Burkhead and James White in that slot next year. But I was a little bit surprised to see Amendola go so early in free agency and not, you know, I mean he's he's going on the West Welker route, right? Welker went to Miami. And we never heard from him again, and that that could be what happens to Amendola. I hope not. I mean, Danny Amendola leaving, you now ha- you'll now go your three wide will be uh, ho- hopefully a healthy Julian Edelman, Cooks, and Chris Hogan, which is not bad in any means. But Danny Amendola brought something kind of exactly like that Wes Welker. I mean, when you look at uh, there was a Wes Welker documentary on NFL that they put out, and it was like the first person to say I'm going to be Wes Welker was Danny Amendola, and he did it well. Uh, he was that slot guy. He was a great slot guy for them. I'm surprised they let him go, but I think overall the one surprise was Ndamukong Sue because of just how good he was. I get it off the field, a lot of money. Huge but, cap number. But you have a player, a a very rare talent, a very, very rare talent 
that min, like Miami could have paid for and dealt with mm-hmm. it, and they could have st- still signed agents. Saved eighteen million, isn't that? A, that's a rebuild. Go. You know, no yeah. Landry, no Sue. Yep. They're, they're blowing I, it up. I don't have a player, but I'll go with the team that I was surprisingly um, excited for. I'll go with the Chicago Bears. I think with the new coach, and I feel like Mitch Trubisky, a young quarterback, has a few weapons now to operate. Not a lot of pressure on him. I think that they can. He can operate and he can do his thing, win a few games, and uh, really grow with the team that he currently has. I like what the Chicago Bears have done, uh, just kind of on the low. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Um, just for a moment, Brandon, since I didn't, we didn't put it in the rundown because I didn't think we really had time, but I want you to touch on real fast the Jake Arrieta signing to the Phillies. I know that's totally off topic here, but because we're not going to get to it later on. Arietta to the Phillies, what do you see about this? Do you like it and how— how do you think this can help the team? Sure. I really like it. It's a three-year, $75 million deal for a guy who came into the market looking for a seven-year deal. I think it's a low-risk, high-reward move for the Phillies. They have the money. They were, you know, they're preparing to spend it, so they just spend it now. And they, in return, get a guy who has number one ace potential. And at the very worst, it will be an innings eater for a young team that's still trying to figure out who their starters are behind Aaron Nola. It also allows Aaron Nola to be your number two starter, taking the pressure off of him as your opening day number one guy throughout the season. And it gives him a mentor, a guy who has been a Cy Young Award winner before he's gone to the World Series, who's been to every major stage in baseball. Overall, I really like this move. As I said, I think it's low risk, high reward for the Phillies, and it sets them up on a trajectory to splash big time next offseason provided that they see the growth from their young players this year and feel as though they're in a position to be a superstar or two away from comp- from being competitive. There were even people saying that this move makes them a wildcard contender. And I'm not sure if I'm quite there yet. We'll have to see what guys like Reese Hoskins and J.P. Crawford bring the Phillies in a full season, but it gets them close. And I think with next offseason looming, Manny Machado, Bryce Harper looming, that's when you could think about the Phillies being a contender again in major leagues. Well, the Phillies with that move, the Flyers currently slated to be in the playoffs if the season ended now, and the Sixers currently slated to be in the playoffs if the season ended now in the Eastern Conference in the NBA as we make a shift back to the association. The East is much, much, much better, and at this point, it looks like the eight teams that are currently about to be in the playoffs will likely stay there. The Heat have a five-game lead over the Pistons for the final spot. Obviously, things can change, but a lot of movement. There's only four and a half games separating the three spot in the East from the eighth spot. But guys, what I want to highlight here for a few moments is the Raptors now with a four and a half game lead over the Celtics, which I believe is their their largest lead of the season. And they've won nine games in a row. At what point can we or will we ever look at the Toronto Raptors and say, you know what, maybe this team can make a run to the NBA finals as opposed to losing in that second or third round like they have in recent years. I don't think anything we'll see for the rest of the regular season will change the mass opinion of this team. I think they've done enough throughout the season to this point to raise them from that level of Indiana, Cleveland, Washington, of a fringe contender to, okay, we have to take this team seriously. But until they get to the playoffs, there's no way they can eliminate the doubts about what happens to this team in the postseason, where Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan are not getting the calls they're accustomed to in the regular season. 
the rotation tightens, so their depth that gives them an advantage over teams in the regular season is no longer an advantage in the postseason. They can't answer those questions until they get there in April, May, and June. So while throughout the course of the regular season, I think they've increased their stock, if you will. They've put themselves into that discussion. They could win every game for the rest of the year, and I think you'd still have those lingering questions about what will happen in the playoffs to them. I think they become a real contender when LeBron James hypothetically leaves the East and Boston somehow oh, so you're looking, you're down. looking beyond this season. Yeah, I don't think that as long as LeBron James stays in the East, I don't think Toronto has a fair shot. I think LeBron James is a perfect counter to them. DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry are two kind fairly small, quick, good shooting players, and neither of them, not necessarily saying a superstar has to guard a superstar, but when those players are on the court late in the game, they can get matched up against each other. It's LeBron James field day, and he'll take them to the bucket every single time. But I do well, they're think not, they're that not going to line up either right. of those guys against yeah, LeBron. I'm saying, but with them being on the court for the entire game, there's going to be a bunch of possessions where they're going to face each other on a switch or on a roll or something, and those are just not going to be able to be defended in any size, shape, or form. But I think that Toronto is going to be a scary team for whoever gets them. I'll say they're going to be scary. I don't think they're going to win. But if you get Boston against them, even Cleveland, even like a Washington team, where where along the road. I are think you, are you talking first round like, of the right playoffs? off the bat? Like once you see the Toronto, once you see whatever whoever's the eight seed that's or hypothetically the eight or the seven seed that's going to get the Toronto Raptors, I'd be scared right off the bat. Well, yeah, but they would be favored though. Like I guess Teddy, I think Teddy's question is more so: Can they do it and win the East? Yeah. I'll, so um, then, and you're saying to that, no. no as can't. long as LeBron is in the East, he'll stop them. And I think this Boston team is actually better than them anyway. So. Well, the Celtics lost. The Celtics have a lot of injuries right now. They yeah. fell in double overtime to the Wizards last night, and and a lot of really a jam up in the middle with these teams. The Pacers have been playing better ball, but I agree with the standpoint that the Raptors currently where they sit. As long as LeBron James is with the Cavs and they're doing their thing, despite the fact that they've been all over the place, even with this trade, they still haven't really gotten going. But Eastern Conference much better, so you expect some competitive games down the stretch and into the playoffs. Uh, in the West, all of a sudden, you got the tra- Portland Trailblazers, winners of 10 in a row, sliding up to the third spot in the West. They are 11 or 10 and a half games behind the Warriors, who are a game and a half behind the Rockets for number one. But it's clear those teams are one and two, whichever way it works out. What do you think of the Trailblazers? Can, uh, can they make a run? Uh, obviously, they wouldn't be favored against the Rockets or the Warriors, but... You think that you think they're anything, or, or no. they're just getting lucky? Are they winning some games? I don't think they're getting lucky, but I don't look at any team in the West outside the top two as any as a team that has a yeah. chance. No matter, I don't think it makes a difference, a huge difference, if Portland ends up three or if they end up six or seven. Um, all of these teams to me are very similar. You look at Portland, Oklahoma City, Minnesota, New Orleans; they all have potential, but they're just not to that next level. The way that these Two teams at the top have the superstars. They, I mean, they're just firing on all cylinders. And and Portland, I mean, we've seen what Golden State does to them in the playoffs the last two years. They carve them up. I'm going to preface this with saying I, I, I agree with you. I don't think that they're going to be able to take the one or two on. But wow, is Damian Lillard impressive. He has put on a show in the win streak that they had. One of the most impressive showings, I was almost going to say, of any guard in the West, but then... Let's be honest here. There are some good guards in the James West. James Harden's yeah. averaging 30 points right. a game. So I think that Damian Lillard put on an incredible performance. I think if people 
didn't respect Damian Lillard before he put on this performance, you have to respect him now. He is putting yeah. on a show. He's, I guess where I came in is I already respected him, and right. I knew, like, okay, he's a top 25 player in the league, Yeah, but Golden State has four of those. Yeah, Golden State <laughs> has four top 15. Eh, top, we'll, we'll go with you. Top yeah, 25 yeah. players in the league. Uh-huh. Uh, I think that the Trailblazers, if the season ended now, they'd go against the Timberwolves. I think they win that matchup, and then they'll— that's a, that's a fun series, though. Yeah. That's a deep series. Both teams go three wide in the superstar category. So it'll be fun to see how they... Uh, I shouldn't say superstar. Star category. Who's the third for Portland? Um, don't they, Who's their uh, big man? Um, Nurkic, you're going to put yeah. him in that category? Yeah. Okay, I don't um, think I would, but that's I, I, I like the Trailblazers. I think they're great. I think they're, exci- I think they're one of the more exciting teams to watch, and given all the other exciting teams are right around them in the Western Conference. But they're a good team. I like them. I like Damian Lillard, and it's Dame time. The Spurs currently in a spot in which they haven't been in in the last couple seasons outside. For, like my, since I was born. Forever. Yeah, I think it was 1997. Greg Popovich's first season was the first season that they missed the playoffs. Outside uh, of the playoffs. 2002, I was going to say. Was this a, is the, I know for this is the longest playoff streak in the NBA. Yeah, that, that, Greg Popovich's first season as coach, they missed the playoffs ever since they've been in it. And they're they're not looking too hot right now. Thirty eight and thirty. They're right on the cusp with the Utah Jazz. If I can pick which teams would be in and out, I'd put the Spurs in and take the Clippers out. I don't think the Clippers are that good, but that'll be the rotation that I'll put in, and that's where we'll have them. Before we have to break, real quick, that the the Memphis Grizzlies have lost eighteen in a row. I just did a little bit of stat research. It's the longest losing streak in the NBA since the Sixers lost twenty. That 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 history losing streak. This is the great. The twenty eighth race, yes. but tanking is not a tank. thing. But tanking is not. No, a thing. I mean this. Is, I mean this is ev- everybody is is just losing. The, like the the numbers. If you take all of the tanking teams, there's something like six and like fifty since the All Star break. It's incredible. I mean they they only win when they have to play each other. That's true. One one team <laughs> has to win when they play. That you think they fight for who's going to lose? They think they're like throwing up bricks just so somebody loses. I mean, I mean trust the process, right? 